Morning, everybody. Happy first day of British summertime and welcome to the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's assistant editor, Jason Beatty. Morning, Jason. Morning, Susie. Now, this is the People's Pay-Per-View, so get into the comments, ask us your questions, tell us what you think is happening. Uh, those of you listening later on the podcast, I'm afraid you're just going to have to move the clocks forward another half hour and pretend it didn't happen. So, what have we got for you today? Well, the Mirror has splashed on an investigation by campaign group led by Donkeys into the top Tories, uh, who haven't pushed their clocks forward. They've actually put them back about 30 years and are wallowing in sleaze by hawking themselves out for thousands of pounds an hour to a fake company they hadn't even bothered to check out. Now, more on that later. But first, I want to talk about something more immediately concerning, which is that on April the 1st, just about every household bill you've got is going to jump like someone shoved paprika up its bum. Now, we are going to be paying more for council tax, water mobiles, broadband, car tax, prescriptions, even stamps on posts that never gets delivered, with some increases going to be as big as 17%. Now, Jason, it says here that it's going to cost the average household £700 a year. Just how, how are we supposed to sustain that with the year that we've all just had? Well, people can't, Susie. That's a whole thing, isn't it? Um and this idea that the kind of the cost of living crisis is somehow over, it's just not true. I, I, I mean, the interesting thing here is they didn't even include other bits of aspects of here because um, one of the, the, the nasties in, in Jeremy Hunt's budget was this thing called fiscal drag. And that's mm. when um, you get pulled into a higher tax bracket without even realising it. Um, so that's coming in as well for an awful lot of people. Um, but the primary concern here is is inflation, which was meant to be falling, actually went up last week. Um, food inflation is running at 18 percent. And almost every conversation I have, and, and this is the interesting thing, it's, it's across the board. So um, it is, is, is about people going, have you seen the price of this in a shop? Have you seen how much this has gone up by? And, and kind of. And I was thinking about this because I kind of, I've noticed anecdotally when I go into work, more and more people are eating packed lunches. They're not going out to get sandwiches like they used to. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking we're quite well off. You know, journalists, we're not badly paid. I mean, not all of them are, but, you know, we're, we're earning more than the average income, most of us. And, it, and if, if we're struggling, God knows how tough it is for other people. Exactly. <laughs> It's a bit bizarre. I think last time I was in, uh, yeah, as the producer Ed says, speak for yourself, Jason. Some of us, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> some the you know, last time I was in Canary Wharf. I think when I used to work in Canary Wharf, hmm. there was a shop downstairs, and I won't mention his name, that used to do fresh meat sandwiches, right, off roasted joints. You know the one I'm talking about, absolutely. Do, yeah. And when I used to work there, it was a fiver for a sandwich in that shop. And I thought that was too expensive. And it was an absolute treat. Occasionally, I couldn't resist the smell of roast pork and crackling. And I had to go and I would treat myself maybe once a month to a five pound sandwich. I think last time I was down there, I had a look and those sandwiches were about eight, nine pounds. It was like, yeah. who, who's spending for that? I expect a, a basket of fish and chips, not a sandwich. But anyway. My roast pork sandwich problems aside, um, inflation, as you say, is at 10% a month. The cost of the living's through the roof. And a lot of it's being fed by this underlying cost of energy. What a 
perfect apposite moment for a, an image of a gas burner. Thank you, Ed. Um, which, as we all know, has rocketed, despite it not costing any extra for the energy providers to actually make, dig or pump this stuff that we use as fuel. So food costs more, 18% more than it did, like you said. Now, Jason, there's a guy in this copy from a bills management website who's saying the government should do more to regulation and actually stamp out the practice of companies doing these annual increases every every April. But if the government's refused to regulate the energy firms more heavily to control all these underlying prices in the first place, the chances of them taking a firm hand on this is virtually zero, isn't it? I mean, the, the problem with energy is multiple mistakes over many years. Um, so one of the major, major problems we have is we have a huge number of homes which don't have proper insulation. And yet this government has, well, Cameron famously or infamously said he wants to cut the green crap. And that meant he basically kind of halted all measures to insulate people's homes. Uh, then Johnson came along and came up with his home insulation scheme, which was then cancelled um, after wasting millions of pounds of, of public money. Um, I think the National Audit Office looked into it and said, actually, had, you know, but, but more money been wasted than spent on insulating homes. So that's the first problem. We have really badly insulated homes, which means people's bills are more expensive. Um, then they made it even things even worse because we we got rid of all our gas storage facilities. Now that sounds kind of rather boring and dull, but actually gas storage meant we could put the gas somewhere. So if prices fluctuated, as they did as a result of the Ukraine war, we had the storage, which meant we could actually you know keep prices low. Most other countries invested in gas storage. We got rid of ours twice. Yeah. Theresa May, as I recall, shut no, down the last. Michael Fallon, who appeared, he did it first in uh, in about 2011. Yeah, when the Tories came in with coalition, and then Theresa May got rid of the rest of it. So we have no gas for Tories. So that was the other catastrophic blunder. These are big, long-term mistakes we're paying the price for now. And what really makes me so cross is there's no actual no retribution for this. There's nobody's gone. This was a really bad decision. Why aren't you being held accountable for it? So, exactly. so, and then you go, yes, the Ukraine, the war in Ukraine has made a difference, but we didn't prepare ourselves for this. There was, there was, so that was the third major mistake. We knew this war was coming. We, you know, Johnson was all gung-ho about supporting the Ukrainians. We did no actual planning for how we would actually cope with this war and its impact on us. Yeah. And what so, do you think, well, everybody, have you got um, a notification of bills going up? I had one for my mobile and my broadband the other day, suddenly rocketing through the roof, had the new council tax demand. Uh, I've also had one through from the, the energy company that says, I'm, you know, it's the price has come down, hooray, it's 15 quid. Thank you very much. That's going to make a huge difference. That's not going to pay the mobile bill. Um, how, how do you feel about these increases? What do you think the government should do about them? Uh, are you going to be able to find £700? on April cruel days, it's being called there, um, to actually get through this every year. Um, and how sustainable is it going to be in the long term? Because they can keep rising prices like this, but eventually people do run out of money if, you're, if your wages don't go up. So it's not actually something that is infinitely possible. There has to come a point where they're going to start losing customers if they keep 
raising prices. But we can't all go and get a packed lunch equivalent, can we, for our energy? There's nowhere else we can go to get it cheaper, unfortunately. Now, Mike says, decades of successive, mainly Tory governments, selling off every publicly owned facility, utilities, rail, etc. Now these are making billions for others, which could be going into government funds. One interesting point, Jason, before we move on to the main story about the Tory second jobs, is that, you know, the, the, the Tory ideology is that if you sell those things off, it makes the system more resilient and more immediately reactive to market pressures. You bring in competition and pure capitalism. But what happened with our gas storage facility in uh, the North Sea, known as Rough, as I think it was, um, is that we paid the energy company that was running it to mothball it. I think it was Centrica. And then it's actually still there. So at some point now, what's going to happen is we're going to pay them again to reopen it. Yeah. And I don't doubt to start storing the gas when it's incredibly expensive. And we'll still be, we'll, we'll find out in a couple of years time, we're, we're paying the same rate for gas then when it's very cheap as we are now because we started storing it when it was pricey or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, I want to pick up on Mike Holden's point because he about talking about, you know, the selling off utilities. Because actually what's happened is, is you know, the privatisation hasn't made these companies more efficient and made the country more resilient. All it's done is, is it's made shareholders and executives even richer. And, and bizarrely, and absolutely surprisingly, capitalists like to make capital and, and they keep doing it at our expense. So, I mean, if you look at kind of, you know, the kind of water industry, for example, the money hasn't gone in investing in, 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 in proper sewage works and cleaning up our waters. It's it, it, it siphoned off the money to, 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 in dividends to shareholders. Um, often exactly. owned by companies which are actually kind of based overseas. Yeah. Um, um, you take Thames Water, for example, you go through about seven different companies before you find the ultimate owner of Thames Water, and they're all based overseas. None of that money, which is our money, <laughs> has gone in actually what it should be doing, which is cleaning up our waters. No, it gets um, taken out of the system rather yeah. than being put and back you, into you the take, system. You know, you take the, the kind of privatised energy companies, it's not about efficiencies, it's about making as much money as possible. Um, that's that's how its system works. Yeah. Now, Anne-Marie says, uh, like Mike, Jekko, Mike point, really, it started with Thatcher selling off over 50 of our publicly owned assets and all those billions should be in the public domain and not the offshore bank accounts of the greedy companies and their shareholders. Uh, often, it must be said, not just foreign owned, as Jason said, but owned by foreign states because they have all kept some state assets and are using it to invest in things and to make money. Um, which is such a useful and important thing to do if you have a state asset, something we didn't bother doing, it would appear. Now, keep asking your questions, everybody. We're going to move on now to um, the Tory second job scandal. So it's like it's basically 1987 all over again, <laughs> or 92, whenever it was when that Tory sleaze really started kicking in. So um, this is the big story of the day, and it's footage that you've probably seen on some of the news channels yesterday of the former Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, there he is, um, talking about, well, he was paying in pounds sterling, and he's in his parliamentary office there, Jason, with a bottle of wine and a couple of empty glasses on the shelf behind him, and what looks like a, a bottle of spirits on the top shelf. And a great big magnum of something on the right-hand side there behind his head. Oh, dear. Um, there they are. You know, they're talking about... They're basically, it's quasi quieting and former Health Secretary Matt Hancock hawking, which is so very nearly the right word, themselves to a fake Korean consulting firm for £10,000 a day. 
Now, there are many people in this country for whom that is the annual salary. But anyway, Sir Graham Brady, who's the chair of the Backbench 1922 Committee with the power of hiring and firing prime ministers, pretty much, um, he asked for £60,000 a year. And all three offered to take time off from Parliament to visit Korea or hold meetings or, or fit in this very important second job along with their main one. And Quartering actually offered to introduce them to Boris Johnson. As if who'd want that? I can I can introduce you to the honourable <laughs> and South Rislip. Whoa, that's worth ten grand a day to anybody, isn't it? Now, Jason, it's worth pointing out that led by donkeys, which the campaign group organised all this sting, they contacted twenty MPs by email with the bogus offer of a job for a consulting firm. There's Mr Hancock talking about the hourly rate, what kind of number he wanted. What were you thinking, Mr Hancock? We've all wondered that, I'm afraid. <laughs> And then he comes, he gazes into the middle distance and, well, 1,500, that'll be about right. Like, like he's doing some sums, like how many minutes it costs for him and his time. Same there for Graham Brady. What's your daily rate in mind at this point in time? Oh, I don't know about a daily rate. I think I want being paid per year, if that's all right with you. Sounds a bit like, you know, a freelance if you're paid by day. Um, but they, they've contacted 20 MPs with this offer. They're the rest of the MPs, the other 17, they either didn't respond. They checked out the website and saw that it looked a bit dodgy. They thought, hang on, I've been contacted by a Nigerian prince. Or they just logged off of the call once they got onto it. They, they, they smelt a rat, basically. They never took part. So do you think, is this proof that the people who've actually been running the country who was stupid enough to fall for this sting, are in fact complete donkeys, like it says on the side of the tin? And this is the most amazing thing, because these stings, they do them every three or four years. Do you remember there was one about, oh. uh, about five years when they got Jack Straw and Mark and Rifkins? And, you know, there was ones before that. And you, and you, and you go, they must realise, you think, they have half a brain cell that... that if somebody's approaching them, offering large amounts of money, it could possibly be a setup. But they don't. I mean, didn't any of them have the kind of the kind of the nouse just to maybe Google this co fictitious Korean company? I, just, I can't believe it. I they think I presume the reason they chose a Korean one is that it would come up with loads of Korean results that they wouldn't be able to read or something. But yeah, I mean, seventeen of them managed to figure it out. They do actually have taxpayer-funded researchers working for them. They might want to turn to the researcher and say, this looks a bit dodgy. I've never heard of this company before. Can you just check it out for me before I agree? But no, yeah. no, no, no. All they saw was pound signs. Exactly. The smell <laughs> of the green, I think, rather overwhelmed the uh, olfactory yeah, abilities to smell a rat. Now, Jean <laughs> says it's time to end the second job. So we might get decent people that go into politics for some reason other than making money. That would be nice, wouldn't it, Jean? Although I do think we've got to say, considering his tax um, statements that were published last week, Rishi Sunak is plainly not in it for the money because he makes more sat on his backside than he does actually sat at his desk. So um, I don't think we can't we can say he's not in it for the cash. He's just in it for the power and the influence. Yeah. Um, what do you think, everybody? What do you think about? I mean, uh, we all know, really. I mean, that's a silly question to ask. What do you think about these MPs um, asking for this much money a day? Because it is ridiculous. But let's have something more sensible. What is your solution to the problem of second jobs for MPs? Because as Jean says there, um, you know, they're, they, they should just ban all second jobs. They're, what about a doctor? 
who is also an MP? What about someone like Rosina Allen-Kahn, who goes in and does a shift at A&E as well? You can't ban second jobs in all cases, can you? How do we find a way through it? And let's be fair to these guys. Right? I'm going to try. It's Monday morning. It's 9.19. I'm going to try to be fair to Matt Hancock. Um, they are backbench MPs now. They're not cabinet ministers. They've recently found themselves with an awful lot of time on their hands, Jason. To be fair, they're, they're probably unemployable in other jobs like Lidl or a call centre or a tyre shop, you know, places where you need to actually have some skills, some charm, some basic maths. So if someone rings up a tramp who's asleep under a bridge and offers him 10 grand a day, I mean, he's going to take the call, isn't he? Is any of this really that surprising or that bad? Susie, I was looking I up. I believe I said that. <laughs> you know, I was looking up some stats for Matt Hancock's constituency in Suffolk. Yeah, there's one in seven people in that constituency in fuel poverty. In the last decade, yeah, the number of people, children in poverty in 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 Suffolk has has gone up by twenty six percent. There are plenty of issues he, as a constituency MP, yeah, could be trying to resolve, could be championing. I can't believe that he hasn't got stacks and stacks of constituency issues, letters, concerns which he's dealing with, which he could be dedicating his time to in Parliament. Yeah, mm. And that applies to all the other MPs who take these lobbying consultancy paid work I, I i i do accept it's a difficult era, area for whether you, somebody like resident alan khan should continue practicing as a doctor um i can understand for example why you know some politicians would want to write pamphlets or books on politics which i think is totally legitimate um they may even want to write for newspapers for money i understand that it is about politics what i think is totally unacceptable is you are paid £84,000 a year to represent people who need help. And they, some of these people genuinely need the support and kind of intervention of their elected representatives to improve people's lives, that they are allowed to get very, very large amounts of money for part-time jobs, which are clearly a distraction and prevent from doing their job properly. It, it's totally unacceptable. And it comes back from this kind of, 18th, 19th century idea, which is why we still have these ridiculous sitting hours in the House of Commons. For example, the House won't sit this afternoon until 2.30, yeah? because they saw this as a kind of part-time job. And, and I kind of, and, and it should be a full-time job. And most MPs do work very hard, but I, it, it's absolutely ridiculous when if you talk to Labour MPs particularly, and those in inner city areas where they have so much casework and they don't have enough time to do it, but our MPs out there, like the Jeffrey Coxes, who can connect, make masses of money by doing their legal work at the same time, oh. um, and, and it, it must just feel insulting to them. Mm. It's one of those things, perhaps, where there's a second job that can somehow, or a second source of income, which can somehow enhance your powers as an MP that can that can help or continue to be political or continue to represent your constituents doing something or the kind of second jobs which are plainly just lining your pocket or nothing to do with your role as an MP um, and Mike says as you mentioned in there there's the constituency issue and quasi quoting you know it says in the copy he didn't mention his constituents once 
in the in the phone call. So they're they're talking about when you can take time off, when you could come to Korea, could we have this meeting, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't mention at any point, I need to be in my constituency on Fridays, or I need to do this, or I need to yeah. do that kind of thing. Uh, and that's even before, Susie, we get to the potential conflict of interest. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's every time you enter in some sort of financial transaction, which is outside your normal job, in this case, the MPs, you're going to leave yourself liable to a conflict of interest. Because, I mean, you, you may be able to declare it and you may say above all, but it, it, it surely will influence you if you're being paid whatever it is, 60 grand a year. Yeah. Mm. Or in Quasi's case, even more. Yeah. Um, this was a negotiation for the lawyers. Um, then, then, you know, that, 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 that shouldn't be allowed because if, if there's any, any chance or, or, or possibility that you would be compromised, that, that should be stamped out right at the beginning. Exactly. And it's as speaking as a self-employed freelance myself, if someone got on the phone and said, I'd like to offer you a job with a consultancy for a lot of money. I'd say, yes, please. Thank you very much. But on the call, I would say, who else? Who are you consulting for? This is a Korean consultancy. So tell me it's not Kim Jong-un, please. Who, who am I getting into bed with? Who else is in the bed, basically? Do I want to deal with you or not? You would ask about your own reputation and how the job with the next person is going to is going to enhance or destroy that and these guys don't seem to have asked those questions either now mike says the problem isn't that mps are greedy and venal <laughs> are you sure uh, the problem is that commons whenever they are asked about second jobs for mps rule that it should be allowed citing the occasional mp who works in the nhs as i just did uh, it'll be very easy to provide a carve out for some professions and ban consultancies you could ban some directorships as well couldn't you but then you've got Perhaps some MPs who are involved in charity work, who are trustees for something. And once you start saying that, say, being a charity trustee is OK, you might find there's workarounds that they, people start setting up a charity. And, oh, I'm a trustee for this charity. And actually, the charity is doing the jobs of what used to be a lobbying firm or something. Um, there, there's going to be ways if you if you have that carve out that Mike suggested, people would find a way around that, wouldn't they, Jason? I think the rules could be tightened up to, 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 to take into account those factors. I, I don't, I, you know, this is just them trying to find excuses not to do it because they want to keep their kind of, you know, their, their snouts of a trough. I just don't get it. Yeah. But, 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 but you can draw up a list of, of clear exemptions. It wouldn't have to be very long. And for the rest of them, it's all bans. Do, do your job, do it full time, represent your constituents. They need representing. Yeah. And maybe work yeah. nine o'clock till five. 536 like everybody else in the country i think yeah. it's part of the problem is that most of us do one job and we find it quite difficult to fit that in with all our other commitments and family and everything yeah. else and we don't really understand how someone else can manage to do two or three or uh, four or even and it's got to be pointed out in this particular instance these aren't second jobs we're talking about brady already has three other jobs including being an mp this would be his fourth job um, Kwarteng is a private landlord, which obviously doesn't spend much time doing. His owns a flat that he rents out. But Hancock has obviously already got a second gig as a reality TV star on the go. Um, so it's third, it's fourth jobs in some cases. But then, like I said, we've got a prime minister who earns more in interest from his investments than he does actually as the prime minister. Um, I think we're entitled to ask, aren't we? When, when they are earning so much from doing other things, which thing is it that's their priority themselves well, <laughs> you cynic jason now pat says what does it matter when there's nothing we can do about it till the general election even then if more people don't go and vote it won't change then and pat 
Don't forget, if you vote this year, photo ID. Take your driving license or your passport because you will need to use it this year in order to vote. Don't go along there, get turned away and then decide you can't be bothered to go back again. Take photo ID this year. Tell everybody, or next time rather. I mean, no, it is this year because there's local elections coming up. Yes, yeah, it's local elections, first time. You must use photo ID from now on. Do not let your vote get stolen by that change to the rules. Now, as you can expect, Labour are pretty livid about all this and at the same time absolutely delighted. Um, so two Labour frontbenchers, uh, Angela Rayner and Tangan Debonair, have written an op-ed in the paper saying how appalling it all is and that a Labour government would ban second jobs and clean all this up. But I think I'm right in saying that Labour are talking about just banning the government from having second jobs, which is the cabinet and some of the junior ministers. Um, as these guys aren't either of those things anymore, under Labour's plans to make it all so much better, exactly the same thing would still happen. These are backbenchers. They're excellent. No, they, they did put it to a vote last year, Susie Labour, which was for, for MPs as well as, as cabinet right. members. But it was it was within the limitations we discussed. So, you know, it was it was directorships and consultancies they were trying to ban because they, right. they understood that the the the, the the, the kind of you know the NHS workers, the 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 the, the people serving as police officers, etc. But they no, they have tried to push this through. Right. Okay. Well, hopefully, if they actually get into power, it would get a little bit tighter yeah. and tougher. If we get a few more stories like this, I suspect they would have to, wouldn't they? They'd have to start saying it's just banned, and that's yeah. that. Frankly, now the argument from the other point of view. Tell me what you think about this, everybody. Uh, the argument from the other point of view is that if you ban people who are very good at their jobs and do very good, well-paying jobs, like your barristers, like your Jeffrey Coxes and so on, that that means you can, if you have those people in Parliament, you have a greater skill set in Parliament, you have people who have a higher quality of MP. That's the argument for, right? But unfortunately, the quality of MP that you get is quite quoting and mad. <laughs> I had to say all those words in a line. I can't believe it. Um, that argument, Jason, I'm sorry, I'm actually crying. Well, um, <laughs> that argument is just, it's just blown apart as soon as you actually look at the people that you have doing the job, doesn't it? We get their skills when we're elected and then they still have those skills. They just don't have to keep practicing them when we're MPs. I did say, say this the point here if it's not affecting their first job priorities but it is affecting their first job priorities that's the point i keep running home you know there are people in matt hancock's constituency who need support and help there is a lot of casework there there are people who you know there's there's the people on the housing waiting list there are, there are children who can't get the kind of the education they need or support for one-to-one -one tuition i can go on and on about all the issues which need solving yeah these are full-time jobs and actually, if MPs spent less time doing second jobs and more focusing on some of their first jobs, it would actually bring up the change we need because the government would have to react to it. Yeah. And uh, instead of a lot of that casework, it says in the, the op-ed in the paper there, casework is higher than it's ever been for a lot of MPs mm. because of the cost of living crisis, because there are people being evicted, because there are people losing their jobs, because there are people who can't afford to pay for their bills and having their benefits yeah. sanctioned and all this kind of stuff. There is more work for them to do because they get those letters in. They need to write letters to ministers. They need yeah. to find things out. They need to go to the Commons Library. They need to represent them in Parliament. They need to give the answer back. They need to try and help and fix all these problems when someone caught, gets basically gets caught in the 
the wrong part of the machinery of yeah. state. And, and if you're not if, doing that, you're not being point, an MP. One final point, Susie. If they were working full time, they could actually have more time to scrutinise legislation as opposed to the kind of hour and a half set aside to look at Rishi Sunakak's Windsor framework last week. Yeah. Mm -hmm or the raver rushing through the illegal immigration bill, you know, they could actually spend more time deliberating properly over the laws which are going to affect our lives. You know, and they always say, we've got to rush this through because we haven't got enough time. They have time. They just make them, make them work more. Yeah, I did see as well, though, that the, uh, I think it was in Private Eye the other week reported that actually there's there's so little work in Parliament itself that they're scheduling... You know, people are starting at two thirty in the afternoon. People are starting later than that, and, and rising at you know very early in the evening compared to what they used to do, because there isn't enough stuff in the actual schedule to do. And so that's why the speaker Lindsay Hoyle is allowing a lot of urgent questions and stuff to get tabled because it's starting to pack out the parliamentary day and look like there's more things happening, because actually there's there's not enough going on, or certainly not under Boris Johnson, there wasn't enough going on in the House to justify. A lot of what they were doing. So, and I suppose it's perhaps the government's fault. Should they be? Should the government actually just be tabling more legislation and making them work harder? I, I think the just more deliberation of the legislation which affects our lives is what's needed. I think you know we, these bills get rushed through very quickly nowadays, and without the scrutiny they deserve. Mm. Yeah, well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But they're obviously busy talking to um, Korean consultancies on Zoom. They can't possibly get to Parliament as well. And they've got all that wine to drink in Kwasi Kwarteng's office. Um, thank you for taking us through all that, Jason. Thank everyone for your questions. Uh, do you have any solutions or fixes for this? Do you think, like our uh, speaker there earlier on, that you just you don't have a problem with these second jobs? Is it enhancing their role in Parliament? Is it making sure that we get a better quality of MP? I said it again. Or do you really think that this is that this is kind of the problem? The quality of MP we are attracting is not the right kind of MP because they can do these second jobs. Let us know. But first off, there is some good news in the world. We found it for you. Here it is. Now, if you listen to the Conservative Party, the great British public hates all the people coming across the channel in small boats and wants them either to be sunk, shot or sent to Rwanda. But a survey has found that 58% of us want refugees to have safe routes to travel here. And almost two thirds are broadly supportive of just the whole idea. I think it's marvellous. Only 22% think that sending people to a country where enemies of the state get disappeared is going to work because it's not. Now, Jason, do you think, is this proof that the great British public is uh, a bit greater than the current British government? Undoubtedly. People are always <laughs> kinder, more sympathetic, more compassionate than the Tories would ever want us to admit. Mm. So yeah? why are the I mean, Tories doing You can them, play on they? people's fears or you can play on, play on people's hopes and they Tories always play on people's fears and there's no but need. It's it's worked though, hasn't it? And let's be brutally fair. Labour started some of the anti-migrant rhetoric back at the end of the, their time in power. David Blunkett um, cut the ability for refugees to actually work while they're waiting for their asylum claims to be processed, which means they go into a detention centre. It means they don't pay tax. It means they become a resentment rather than a an assimilation. Um, you know, it's the focus groups and the dog whistle does get people to win votes doesn't it i mean that's how brexit operated so 
well, perhaps not looking at this poll. I mean, there's always danger of these things that, you know, by by trying to kind of, you know, play to one audience, you offend another. And I think that with the, the Conservatives, fundamentally the issue for them is that they've got to prove they're going to kind of deliver on their promises. Um, but the other issue is that by kind of trying to demonise refugees and asylum seekers, that actually may offend a lot of, you know, good thinking people, as this poll shows, most people are much more compassionate and much more understanding and sympathetic than, than, than actually the Tories want to admit. Mm. And a lot of them, of course, uh, aren't necessarily Labour voters. A lot of them can be. I think the Lib Dems are very delighted about the Tories' anti-migrant rhetoric because it's working very well for the Lib Dems in the home yeah. counties. Places in the M Labour MP for Wigan, who's a now... Um, Shadow leveling up. She she told a, a, a great story a few years ago that they, in her constituency, they, they wanted to house um, more than a hundred Somalians in a in a, a hotel, and they hadn't done any consultation on this. They were just going to just kind of dump them there. And and Lisa said they she understood the, the concerns of her constituency. She she quickly got together a whole lot of meetings and she sat down. And she explained to them what was happening and and why the Somalians needed housing and where, where, where they'd come from and the, the conditions they'd been living under. And she said, once you'd explained, the people of Wigan were incredibly welcoming. And they said, she said, they were even saying things like, oh, should we go around and kind of, you know, bring them food at Christmas? And, and you know, Lisa oh. would say, well, actually, I'm Muslim, but probably not going to celebrate Christmas. But it was that sort of, it, and she said there was no backlash. In fact, people understood because they explained and mm. and they consulted and they talked. And and I think that kind of, you know, that poll bears out the people of Wigan, basically. It does. <laughs> There was there used to be a, there used to be a regular column I think in one of my teenage girl magazines about fashion and it was headlined would they wear it in Wigan and uh, it's this isn't it exactly so if think of the same thing works with politics would they wear this in Wigan yeah they would if you explained it to them and we're actually reasonable and decent about it as opposed to blowing a dog whistle but well done the great British public well done Jason for explaining all that to us with so much sympathy and heart thank you everyone for taking part we've got to wrap now because we're overrunning a bit but uh, if you're listening to us in podcast please leave us a review so other people can find us we will see you again on Wednesday for another edition of uh, the Tory Sleeves News Agenda till then <laughs> tatty bye